0: What had been prophesied, what had been appointed to all throughout the Old Testament, as well as before Jesus had come by by John the Baptist, was fulfilled in Jesus. That Jesus, the Messiah, the One, had come. Jesus was here. Secondly, the kingdom of God is at hand. Von Roberts says this, The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place, under God's rule and blessing. What we find out is the kingdom of God has come, in part, and is coming again. So what is our response to be? When confronted with this kingdom, as Jesus, God's Son, who is God, comes, what are we to do? There is a king, and he is here. He is reigning in heaven now, and he's coming again. His kingdom is here, but not yet. What are we called to do? We're called to do the king's bidding is what we're called to do. Last week, we, um, uh, we, we asked, h- how do we respond by that? And giving just two basic options of either we repent, excuse me, either we uh, rebel or we surrender. Those are your options to the king. In a kingdom where there's a king, you either rebel or you surrender. And we're going to go on and see Jesus' more specific commands in the rest of verse 15. And here in verse 15b, we read these two commands, or these two imperatives that say this. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. These commands come in light of the two declarations. Okay, So we, we don't want to just focus only on these two commands without understanding what they've come out of. Jesus has just made two indicatives called out two truths that the king is here and his kingdom is here now in response to that he gives two commands those being repent and believe now mark's gospel is the only one who who breaks it up into repent and believe jesus says in the book of matthew only only repent he doesn't say the gospel um why is that we'll talk about that in just a few uh, minutes but let me say it in this way In a sense, it is only one command in two parts. We will look at them in two parts, and yet they constantly are coming together. They they are inseparable um, because they they, they go together. Faith and uh, repentance, or belief and repentance. They they go together, meaning this. You cannot truly do one and not do the other. To do one is to do the other, as we will see in just a moment. So repent. What does Jesus mean? when he says, repent. Well, here are some definitions to help us start to think about what it means to repent. One definition would be this. To turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. Or to feel regret or contrition. To feel sorry, to pity. Or to, to change one's mind, to think differently. Webster's Dictionary uh, says it in this way, to cause, to feel regret or contrition, to feel sorrow, regret, or contrition for. All those are, are, are appropriate and fine definitions, but practically, what uh, what what is biblical repentance? It's more than just saying I'm sorry, right? I think, I think we know that. But yet, for those of us that have children, Right when we when we deal with our child on a sin issue and we uh, have them uh, work through that with their their brother or their sister, um, usually what you will naturally get is a, a mumble, a uh, a grumble. Uh, I'm sorry, but no real admittance of guilt or uh, for asking for forgiveness. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith says it this way: Repentance uh, of repentance it says this. By it, that meaning repentance. A sinner, out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also the filthiness and odiousness of his sin, as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God, and upon apprehension of his mercy, God's mercy, in Christ, to which, as, uh, to, as such, are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sin, as to turn from them unto God proposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commands now that was a lot and um, you might want to read that a couple times but here here's what they're saying as we see the holiness of God we recognize our sinfulness and upon recognizing our sinfulness repentance repentance comes and there's a response, a two-fold response that we could say. If you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 6, so when we get there, you're ready. Here, here's what we mean when we say biblical repentance. It means to turn from sin. To turn from sin. It, it, it involves acknowledging sin. It's saying the same thing about it that God says. This happens as we see God as holy. So you see, repentance means not only turning away from sin as an act, but also admitting that you are a sinner. Repentance is more than saying, I did something wrong or I've done things wrong. Repentance also involves admitting that you are by nature a sinner, that you and I oppose God, that we all are in need of repentance. So listen, no one is born forward-facing God. No one is born in fellowship with the Father. No one is born as a Christian. But that's untrue. If you think you were born as a Christian, you actually may not be a Christian. Because at a point in time, God moves into our life, reveals our sin, and here is what repentance begins to look like. Where we acknowledge that we are a sinner in the sight of a holy God. So not only do we turn away from sin, but secondly... We turn to or toward God in Christ by faith. Now, we are starting to blur the line between the two commandments, uh, but, but stick, stick with me here. This is how, this is how it, it, it starts to become one. Let me say it this way. If I were to turn from you to the screen, right, in order for me to actually do that, I can no longer be facing you. If I were to say to you, "I'm going to turn from you to the screen," Now, I continue to stand here just like this, you would know that I did not what turn right. Very good, very good class. Aren't you glad you came today? Right? Some are listening. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So, cannot you cannot do the first without doing the second? It's impossible. You cannot turn truly turn from sin, and not turn towards God. That is what repentance is. It's turning from our sinfulness, not to the right behavior necessarily, not first. It's turning to God. It's turning to him, his righteousness. Now now this sounds obvious, as we gave that um, fine, fine visual. But practically, practically, you and I both know, maybe even of our, our own heart, and we've certainly witnessed it in other people, which is sometimes easier to see, isn't it? That repentance is often no more than lip service. Right? Repentance is, is, is more than that. But what, what we see often is people claiming repentance, and yet there's no changing. There's no turning. There's no heart. It, it's only words. See, repentance is more than me just professing something. It's me physically doing something, a change that begins in my life, this turning movement that God affects in our life. Isaiah chapter 6, you should be there by now. But as we understand that not all repentance is true repentance, the reason for that is because it's not done in the light of God's holiness. Isaiah has this experience, and you read with me in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he flew. And the one called to the other said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having a, in his hand a burning coal taken from the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. Give me just a minute. I think my batteries are running out. Is that right? Sorry. The pastor's here usually checks that. Let's try it again, huh? All right, very good. That was a very anticlimactic part after reading Isaiah chapter 6. So sorry about that. Isaiah chapter 6, we find out that Isaiah has this experience. And he gets to see something that none of us are going to see this side of heaven. He gets a glimpse into uh, the throne room of God. And he sees something that changes him. And his response when confronted with the holiness of God is that he is lost. Or some of your Bible says that he is undone. He's recognizing that he is unclean. That's the response when faced with the holiness of God. So much of what we call repentance is nothing of the sort. It's merely making ourselves feel better. You see, repentance involves time before God. It involves us pleading and meditating and considering God. It's a discipline. Like most disciplines, it's not easy or else more people would do it. involves silence. It involves being quiet, which Dallas Willard says that silence is crucial for breaking of old habits in the formation of Christ's character in us. He then goes on to quote Pascal, who says this, I have discovered that all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact, that they are unable to stay quiet in their own room." Being still before the Lord is not easy. But it is in those moments where we begin to see ourselves in light of Him. And this is part of the road to repentance. Now, repentance for many is to be feared, isn't it? We're worried about repentance. We'll be exposed. People might know who I really am. I don't don't want people to know who I really am. I don't want to admit wrong because that makes me seem less It seems like I don't have it together. Yet, actually, repentance is truly good news. It's good news for you and for me because what it tells us is that it's God's work in us, his conviction, assured with his love and his forgiveness, that he is changing us. And by his grace, he is making us more and more like Jesus for our good and for his glory. That's the the benefit of repentance. You see, repentance um, is exactly what Jesus came to proclaim and provide. You see, we are made for God. So anywhere other than in fellowship with God is not where we belong. Repentance is God's good gift to bring us back home. That's, That's why repentance is good. And you read your Bible over and over again, you see man after man, person after person, failing in the Bible. If you think the Bible is only about spiritual heroes, you have not read the Bible. The Bible is actually about failures. It's about sinners. It's about sufferers. It's what the Bible is about, which we all can relate. And what we see in the Bible is, is men and women who are seemingly good people making terrible decisions. We think of guys like King David, right? a classic example of, of what someone who God later calls a man after his own heart and his sin of of adultery, and his sin of of having someone murdered, are outrageous to us. And he continued in that for for some period of time, only to be exposed by the prophet Nathan, and upon that he repents. We hear of his repentance in Psalm chapter 51, where he laments, and he cries out for forgiveness, and for God to wash him, and purge him, and cleanse him be assured of, of his forgiveness, he writes in Psalm chapter 32, and he says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You can know, friend, that repentance towards God, true biblical repentance towards God, ends with God forgiving us. It is good news, and it assures us that we can be brought home to God. What it is not, what it is not is my resolve Biblical repentance is not me saying, uh, I'll never do that again. Nope. I promise God I'll never do it again. Right? How many of us have, have done that, right? And only to the next day, do the exact thing. It doesn't work. That's not repentance. It's, it's a resolve that's self centered. We're trusting in our own ability to somehow try to stop an action that we cannot stop on our own. It's also not remorse, at least not in this sense. It's not a self-loathing. It's not this idea of the, I can't believe I did that. I'm so so bad. I'm so terrible. I'm so sad I got caught. I feel bad. Those, again, are self-centered. We're worried about how it makes me look. Neither of these responses have anything to do with Jesus, anything to do with righteousness, anything to do with God's holiness. They're only about us. It's only when we move away from that, away from ourselves, that we begin to see it more rightly. John Owen says this, He is no true believer unto whom sin is not the greatest burden, sorrow, and trouble. Hear that again. He is no believer unto whom sin is not the greatest burden, sorrow, and trouble. When we rightly understand sin, we will agree. Sin matters. And the more clearly I see God's holiness, the more clearly I see my sinfulness. When I see God's holiness, His goodness, His kindness, Paul tells us that leads me to repentance. It does not lead me to continual sin. Repentance is necessary. Without it, we will not see the kingdom. Have you repented? Have you repented? Do you need to repent? Christian, do not assume this morning that I'm only talking to those, or this passage is only talking to those who have yet to repent. We have far more to repent of than than we, we dare think. There's much that we can repent of. In fact, the Christian life is a repenting life. Martin Luther has said this, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, He willed the entire life of the believer one of repentance. In true biblical repentance, as we turn from sin, we are also turning to God in faith, which moves us to the second command, believe the gospel. Believe, or to trust, or to have faith, or be confident in. Uh, Believing is is very important, But, but what we believe in is even more important. Everyone sitting here this morning believes in something. You may say, oh, I, I came with somebody else. I don't believe anything. I don't believe what you guys are saying. No, okay, that's fine. I'm not saying you believe what I believe. You believe in something. The atheist says, not me. I'm a, I don't believe in God. But you believe in something, right? Something or someone, even if it's yourself, or if it's a force, or it's some, whatever. You believe in something. Everybody believes in something. So it's not that we don't believe. When we say unbeliever, we mean unbeliever in Jesus no one's an unbeliever. Everybody believes in something. So the question then is, what is the something that we must believe? Well, what matters? What do you believe? It's, it's not the the quantity of your faith that matters. Right? That that is the quality. There are people who have great amounts of faith in the wrong things. There are people who are willing to fly themselves in a, in a plane into a building. You got that kind of commitment? Your faith isn't that big, most of us, right? But it's in the wrong thing. So the quantity or, or, or the, the amount is not the, the issue. It's, it's the quality. It's the object. One pastor said it like this. Weak faith is still faith, just as a small flame is fire. Faith. Faith in what? What are we to believe in? The gospel. Well, what is the gospel? What what do we even mean when we say that? Sometimes you hear people uh, talk about the gospel in lots of different ways. They talk about it as the first four books of the Bible. They talk about it as a a style of music. What does the Bible talk about the gospel being? The Bible actually talks about the gospel as good news. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preach to you which you receive, in which you stand, And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. And here he goes. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. He continues on to tell about who saw Jesus after he was resurrected. But in a nutshell, this is the work of Jesus dealing with our sins. John Piper refers to the gospel as this, the good news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins, rose again, eternally triumphant, all his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation for those who would believe, only everlasting joy. That's the gospel. Last week we read this. The gospel is amnesty for the rebels, the favor of the divine sovereign, peace between heaven and earth, salvation for sinners, and eternal life for the dead. That's the gospel. That's good news, friends. If that's not good news for you today, there is not good news for you. Nothing will be good news if that's not good news for you. If you don't find yourself in that that list, then you don't know yourself. You need to come today and see Jesus for who he is, and as you do, you will see Yourself as God sees you. We must get the gospel right. We must get the gospel right. See, the Bible is proclaiming the the gospel to us from the from the beginning pages of the Bible all the way through. It is, as one writer says, "It's not uh, a point. The gospel is not a point. The gospel is the point. That's the point of the Bible." is the gospel. It's not, it's not a, it's something we just build off of. No, no, the gospel goes on and on. It affects everything we do, and the whole Bible is telling this story. So when Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel, we better know what the gospel is. You better understand what the gospel is. You've got to understand what you must believe. It's not just you're believing in a denomination. It's not just you're believing in in, uh, being good or or praying a prayer or raising your hand. No, no. We need to know what the gospel is. We must get it right. Several years ago, when we were doing uh, mission trips with our students, we would ask this question. What must you believe? Uh, I imagine you have a short period of time to talk to someone about Jesus. about salvation what do you need to believe there's lots of things in the bible what does someone need to believe in order to be saved we would go through various answers we would write them all down we have a a whiteboard they would continue to write many things they're good things true things what what must you believe in order to be saved what is the gospel of which we're speaking we come right down to it it actually gets pretty simple pretty quick you have to believe on Jesus. So that's really simplistic. Well, you know what? Jesus can be really simplistic. Right? The Bible actually can be really simplistic. It doesn't make it easy, but it can be simply put. With a verse like Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's pretty short and simple, isn't it? That's pretty clear cut. What must we believe? We must believe Jesus. I was raised in a Christian home, and my dad is a pastor. And we went to church my whole life. And uh, for several years, I went to a, um, a private school and um, heard the Bible at the private school. Heard the Bible at home, heard the Bible at church, got it. Yep, heard it all. When I was about third grade. We are at a chapel at my school. And they gave some sort of invitation, and I responded to that invitation. And I prayed some sort of prayer, and I came home and told my parents that I had gotten saved. I apparently knew enough to answer enough questions correctly, and I got baptized. And for the next number of years uh, growing up, I struggled massively with doubt and insecurity and being unsure of if, if I was saved. The truth is, I didn't actually understand the gospel. I didn't actually understand it. I didn't actually understand what, what saving faith meant. And one night, I was a teenager. I was in my room, and I grabbed my Bible, and I dealt with doubts a lot, and some of you heard that story already. But I, I read this verse, Acts chapter 16, verse 31. And we won't take time to tell the, the story that's there, but the man asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? And the response that Paul gives him is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. And so it's that night that that I I prayed, I I trusted Christ for my salvation. I I prayed a prayer, something like acknowledging what Jesus had done, death, burial, resurrection, that was for me, that covered my sin, and that's what I'm trusting in to save me. Friends, that's, that's saving faith. God allowed me to understand that it was not me who is saving anything. See, we need less raising of hands and and, and repeating prayers. We need more, as Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Who are you trusting? That's the question. The question is, who who do you trust in? Are you trusting in your ability to believe something? Man, if you are trusting your faithfulness, you will live a life very afraid of losing it. And there's one who, while we are faithless, remains faithful. There's one who saves. There's one who we can know that we have salvation because of him. Maybe a better question is, who are you holding on to? Or better than that, who is holding on to you? See, so much much of our, our understanding of the gospel is something that I do to God. I'm believing on God. Right? That's, there's truth to that. We're responding to him. But there's a, 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 an overarching understanding in the Bible is that God is saving us. That God is reaching down and saving you. And so if you even want to use the illustration of I'm holding on to something, guess what? Something else is holding on to you. Someone else is holding on to you. And, and his grip does not change with your doubts or your insecurities or your sins get the gospel right, friends. Jesus is the one who saves. Believe on Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe Jesus. Jesus is the dividing line. There are many people who believe similar things in the Bible that you would, or I would, or our church would. But when it comes to the person, the work, and the deity of Jesus Christ, it all goes off tracks. He is the dividing line He is the deal breaker on what the gospel means. Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 1 verse 15 this. Repent of your sins. Acknowledge your sin, Agree with God about your sins. Confess them. Plead for forgiveness from them. See God as the Savior and Redeemer that you need. And turn from your sin. And as you're turning, turn to Christ in faith. Believing. That Jesus is God, come to man to rescue sinners and make those who are dead in their trespasses and sins alive together with him. That's what Jesus is telling us in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. He's calling you to life. Hear his commands to repent and to believe. Have you repented? Have you ever sat before the Lord and asked him to reveal to you sin in your life and be willing to to own it and deal with it. It's a posture of humility, and it comes as we see God as holy. Have you believed the gospel? Have you believed the gospel of Jesus being the Savior that you need? Have you believed it by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone? You see, the Christian life is A life of faith. It's a life of faith, and faith is not a virtue. Faith is a gift. That is very, very important to know. Faith is not something you conjure up. It's something that God in grace gives. So ask for it. Plead for it. Be like the man in in Mark chapter 9 who says to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me to believe. You see, friends, the king has come, and he is coming again. His kingdom is near, but not in full. These are truths. And the response that Jesus tells us is to repent and believe. And will you? Will you today, if you have never, will you turn and bow the knee to Jesus as your king? If you have, is there sin in your life that you need to repent of today? There's sin that that you need to confess today. See, believing the gospel isn't a one-time act. Every time I sin, I'm in an act of unbelief of the gospel. Because what I'm saying to God is, you're not really enough. I need this. So are you in, in error of believing the gospel? You and I both desperately need Jesus today. We desperately need to come to him, repenting of sins and believing. We need to come we need to die to ourself, and in that, find life. Life that only Jesus provides. Let's pray. Father, lead us into a repentant life through your Spirit. As we view the gospel, the, the promises that you are with us and that you are for us, Lord, in light of your holiness, may we gladly come repenting and believing the good news. We need your help, Father, for those who have never trusted you, have never acknowledged their, their natural bent towards sin and sought your forgiveness. God, I pray they would do that today and know with confidence that you offer forgiveness. Your scriptures tell us if we will confess, you will forgive and cleanse. Oh God, I pray that they would do that today for the Christian here today who may be wayward, maybe be in unbelief towards, towards you and the gospel. I pray today that they would repent, that they would turn, turn to Christ, and by your grace seek to follow him. Oh God, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Jesus, I love thee, my Jesus. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God and Savior be glory and majesty, and dominion and power, both now and forever. For the King and his kingdom find us faithful, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.